Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Consciousness Explorers podcast, the podcast that's all about exploring the mind, the body, uh, consciousness, whatever you want to call it, this human existence thing using different practices. Would you call it the MindBot Adventure Pod? Tasha, my co-host, <laughs> nails it with the... Thank you. Says it more efficiently than I ever could. Welcome to the Mind Bod Adventure Pod. Now, with me is my friend Tasha Schumann. <laughs> totally screwed you up. I wanted to. That's all right. It. We're, we're going to work with it. With me is my friend Tasha Schumann. Hey. I'm Jeff Warren. And who do we have on today, Tasha? Today, we had on Charlie Morley, who's a really dynamic teacher and speaker of lucid dreaming. Uh, he's been around for a while. He's been doing this for, you know, I think over a decade, maybe even two. Um, but I connected with him just kind of, you know, in the Instagram DMs because we're both dream nerds and, you know, hip hop nerds and nerds in general, <laughs> Buddhist nerds. Um, yeah, we asked him to come on to talk a little bit about his new book, Wake Up to Sleep, guide us in some practices specifically about trauma as related to sleep and how we can use, you know, dream relaxation, all that stuff to, to get over PTSD, traumas, CPTSD, all those, all those kind of juicy things. So it was a And great also talk. just general stressed out living in the 21st century, like how to, how to improve our sleep. You know, sleep is so nutritious. There's so many benefits. Um, and that's what I thought was really cool that uh, he kind of offered a, a holistic overview of that. And then he kind of identifies a few different baskets of practices that can be helpful. And he guides us actually through two, through a really interesting protector practice, which has music. It's a little different than what we normally do. So mm -hmm. he actually wanted to record it separately. So you'll see his voice sounds a little different. There's music underneath it. And it's this practice about protecting us uh, before we go to sleep, which was really interesting. And then another little mini relaxation practice. Yeah, it was awesome. So hope you guys enjoy. Get comfy. Do it in a bed if you want. <laughs> Charlie Morley, welcome to the Consciousness Explorers podcast. It's good welcome. to have you here. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> Very okay. excited about today. Yeah, so this is going to be interesting. I think most people can relate to having disturbed sleep, stress affecting their sleep, maybe even nightmares in their sleep, whatever it is, PTSD, as you talk about. Um, so, you know, you're kind of someone who's done some interesting work around this. So I wanted maybe at the beginning just to introduce how you got into teaching this basket of strategies and who you targeted and how it's kind of expanded. And then maybe we'll talk a little bit about what it is you want to guide us in. Sure. So I was teaching lucid dreaming since 2008 at the kind of request of my Buddhist teacher. So I, I didn't, I didn't kind of set out to, to teach this stuff. I was always really into it, been like obsessed with lucid dreaming since I was um, kind of late teens, like 16, 17, discovered lucid dreaming, got really good at it, was like, oh shit, it's this like virtual reality simulation <laughs> mm -hmm. side of your mind, have loads of sex, get really good at skateboarding. Like, cool, right? Do you want to say something about lucid dreaming start? in case somehow somebody doesn't know what lucid dreaming is? And we're yeah. going to talk about that at the end too, lucid dreaming, so... Of course. So a lucid dream is a dream where you're actively aware of the fact you're dreaming as the dream is happening. So anyone who's had a dream where you're in the dream, you're like, oh, wow, this is a dream right now. Oh, my God. So I'm like inside my mind right now. This is all a dream. That was lucid. So whether it's a fun dream or a scary dream, whatever, the moment you have that kind of aha moment, uh, that's lucidity. And actually that aha moment is uh, there are neural correlates for that. It's the activation of the right dorsolateral prefrontal cortex. So we know this is real. Uh, and one of the cool things, actually, since we mentioned the neurology so early on is once that part of the brain is activated, so is neuroplasticity. 
So in non-lucid dreams, neuroplasticity isn't engaged because the prefrontal cortex isn't engaged. But once you get lucid, as far as the brain is concerned, you are awake. So this is an interesting philosophical point, right? Mm -hmm. For the brain, wakefulness is not predicated on having your eyes open. Wakefulness is predicated upon the activation of certain brain regions. So once you activate the prefrontal cortex, the brain's like, I'm awake right now. And I'll start laying down neural pathways in exactly the same way as I would if I, if I were really awake, eyes open awake, right? Now, this is where all the benefits of lucid dreaming lie, because it means what you do in a lucid dream isn't like imagining it. It's like doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. As far as yeah. the brain concerned, you did it. Yeah. So if you practice your martial arts in a lucid dream, no wonder scientific studies have shown you get better in the waking state because Amazing. the brain thought you were actually practicing. And if you look at trauma and the kind of stuff I've been doing with nightmares and, and military veterans, if they can become lucid in that dream and know I'm not really back in Iraq, I'm dreaming I'm back in Iraq. Mm-hmm. As far as the brain is concerned, they just didn't, it wasn't that they had a healing dream or they had a healing hypnosis session or they had a healing imagination or shamanic journey. As far as the brain is concerned, they were back in Iraq last night, but this yeah. time it was a very different story and it wasn't fear and it wasn't terror. They were okay with it. It's like that has wow. a powerful deconditioning wow. effect on the brain. Um, so it works at a really deep level. So let's, um, so we'll get to that. Uh, we'll actually, you're going to talk a little bit about some lucid dreaming induction techniques and how that can help with this kind of nightmare stuff. But let's back up and get to the yeah. story of how you got into this and the sure. bigger story. Cause you're after a bigger fish than just the lucid dreaming piece. That's like one tool in your, in your hand yeah. basket there. So I'm like 16, 17. I don't know any of this. I did notice I got really good at skateboarding though, by practicing my dream <laughs> uh, the sex thing, not so much, but the skateboarding, <laughs> I was really nailing that. Um, <laughs> so you get on that in. when I try to have sex with you, I think something just goes terribly wrong. Oh, me too. Yeah. I'm Somebody like, comes out of my dream and they're like, stop doing that. I'm like, exactly. Oh, okay, like, I'm so sorry. Or I'm like, I, the only yeah. time I ever managed to get it on is with like an umbrella or like a table. <laughs> I'm like, come <laughs> on. Oh, yeah, okay, we, well. we can work on that off uh, after the podcast, dude. I got loads, loads yeah, of time. I need your help with that. We're gonna, that'll be our next practice. <laughs> so I get really into lucid dreaming. Uh, in my 20s, get into Buddhism when I'm 19, take refuge, end up living in a Buddhist center, all this kind of stuff. But my day job, I was in like a moderately successful hip hop crew called Throwdown. And we were like a group of like B-boys, graffiti artists, DJs, beatboxers, and myself. I was like the kind of lead guy and the rapper. And I wrote the, when we did the hip hop theater stuff, I wrote the scripts and stuff like that. So, this is why we get along so well. I didn't Yeah, know. exactly. I no when I saw your that. Instagram, I was like, wow, she looks super cool. Um, so that's what I was doing. That was my job. And then when I was 25, Lama Yeshe asked me to start giving talks. And of course, I didn't turn him down, but I was like, what the fuck? Are you serious? This is insane. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. This is ridiculous. And I kind of didn't, but I think he probably saw, you know, these, these masters they see with more than their eyes. And I think he saw a potential that, you know, 10, 15 years later did, did become something beneficial. Now I can honestly say that, but back in the, you know, at the early days, I was kind of trying my best, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so we're just doing the lucid dreaming stuff. A few years after that, a army veteran, uh, SAS selection, parachute regiment, army veteran called Keith McKenzie, uh, came on one of my lucid dreaming retreats that I was running at this Buddhist retreat center. He has this big breakthrough experience. He has really bad PTSD nightmares. And in his words, I cured more of my PTSD in that four day retreat than in four years of therapy. And wow. I was like, whoa, dude, like, that's amazing. Can that's I, incredible. can I quote you on that? He said, yes. <laughs> um, and interesting, that guy, Keith McKenzie is who the new book is dedicated to. And even more interestingly, but with great sadness in my heart, Keith is actually currently in a coma. 
And he oh, went no. into a coma the day the book was released, like two days ago, oh, no. um, with COVID-related stuff and some illnesses that he had. So I'm really trying to find some meaning in this. Um, but if you're listening to this, please know and send love to that man and that name. Um, because, Keith McKenzie. Yeah, Keith McKenzie. May he be happy and well. Um, so Keith came to a workshop had this big breakthrough experience. A few years later, he rings me up and goes, oh, I'm like a qualified mindfulness teacher now. And I'm a, and I'm a Buddhist chaplain in the army. So like, I'm the like Buddhist vicar dude in, in the army and I'm running these retreats for veterans. You want to come and do the lucid dreaming stuff? Uh, again, I didn't know if it'd work, but I was like, sounds super cool. Let's do it. Uh, we went there and it did work for some of them, not for all the veterans, but in a group of 20, maybe five of them learned to lucid dream, worked really well. So I thought there, there's some potential here. But what I saw in that first retreat and all the retreats we did subsequently was the other stuff that he was offering with other teachers was working really well too. They had a Qigong teacher, they had a breathwork teacher, they had a yoga teacher, and they had a yoga nidra teacher. And just the seeds were planted in my head in that first retreat, you know, seven years ago, like the lucid dreaming thing's great, but for highly traumatized populations of which you know, ex-military have a lot of them. In fact, I think 80% on our first retreat were clinical PTSD. Um, the lucid dreaming is great, but it requires sleep. So actually you need to rewind a little bit and work on practices that help people sleep and then move into lucid dreaming. So for the next five years, I started learning that. I did teacher training in yoga nidra. I did teacher training in breath work, teacher training in breath body mind, which is like a qigong based form of breath work. And then created what now became the mindfulness of dream and sleep protocol. So there is lucid dreaming. Um, and that's what the new book is about. There is, there is a couple of chapters on lucid dreaming at the end, the last two chapters. But mm -hmm. before that, the like other 17 chapters are on sleep awareness, deep relaxation, yoga nidra, breath work, working with nightmares, transformation of trauma, and then eventually the lucid dreaming. Because this isn't just about, this isn't just for people who are suffering PTSD. There's also a kind of ubiquity of stress out there. I mean, people just mm -hmm. having crap sleep and who could benefit from this book. So what is this kind of scale of the issue around sleep challenges in the first place. Yeah, so dude, when I first started writing the book, quite naively, I was thinking, well, if this stuff works for veterans who've got like really serious trauma, it's definitely gonna work for everyday people, right? Because everyday people don't have as much trauma as veterans. Complete naive thing to say and completely incorrect. Mm. Um, trauma is trauma. Whether it's from a military war zone or a familial war zone, trauma is trauma. And actually CPTSD, complex PTSD, made up of multiple traumas over long periods of time, is way harder to treat than single event mm -hmm. trauma, uh, PTSD, which a lot of, uh, or a lot more military veterans might have. So what I realized is it wasn't so much about dumbing down the practices that have worked for veterans and making them available to everyday people, whatever that means, but actually expanding them. And seeing that veterans were kind of the tip of the iceberg in, in a way, because we started getting veterans, family members turning up on retreats and then people who'd been in car crashes going, can I come too? I'm not a veteran, but I've heard this works for trauma. And now it's just, you know, there are still the veterans retreats, but now the retreats are open to everybody. Um, and then you start looking at just levels of stress. People who may not say they've had a traumatic experience, but I mean, levels of stress, especially in the last 18 months were like a global pandemic. Yeah. Whose stress levels are normalized now? Most right. people are in a much higher level of stress than they were before. And even um, though people were like at home, sleep just plummeted. People weren't sleeping properly at all. Yeah. And if and they were aren't. sleeping, they were having crazy nightmares. Yes. Um, yeah. And the, the nightmare thing is really interesting, actually. There's a, I did a few videos on this. People were um, reporting increase of nightmares, but also increase in dreams of stuff from their childhood. 
And I was getting about once a month, I was getting a journalist ask me, can I explain this? So I started to speak to some sleep scientist friends and we were kind of chewing the fat on this. And what we believe is happening, and now they've done a study to confirm this, is there's something called day residue, which is essentially dreaming about stuff that happens in the day. Let's say like you live in central London as I do, and maybe people who commute to work, they might see like a thousand people a day. There's a lot of day residue that needs to be processed, right? Because mm-hmm. dreaming is essentially about trauma integration and memory reconsolidation. So if you're seeing a lot of new stuff, you need to dream a lot about that, right? Yeah. One, one of the factors of dreaming anyway. So because suddenly people have gone from seeing like a thousand people a day to seeing two people in their dog yeah. and not leaving their house, <laughs> There the wasn't so was. much, yeah, there wasn't so much stuff to dream about, right? Mm. So it wasn't like the brain's going to go, oh, I'll reduce the REM period because REM is so important to the brain's health. But the brain goes a bit like, you know, I cleaned my flat like most people do. They cleaned their yeah. apartment what and get lockdown, right? Then once you've cleaned it, you're like, oh, maybe I'll start painting it or maybe I'll start <laughs> sorting out my books. The brain's doing the same. So it starts yeah. digging back into memory. A lot of people started having childhood dreams. Then a lot of people started having nightmares. And the main thing, though, is nightmares are not a bad sign. A nightmare is like an immune response from our internal psychology. If you have a stressful or traumatic experience, you are supposed to dream about it. You, you know, mm. it's, it's like a, a nightmare is like a scab. You know, scabs, they might be itchy. They might be unsightly. You might be kind of ashamed to show your scab to others. But a scab, what's a scab doing? It's creating a protective barrier to allow healing to occur beneath the surface. Mm-hmm. That is like, by definition, that's like what a nightmare is. So a lot of people were finding they were having these dreams of childhood, little bit kind of scary dreams, nightmares. And actually, it was a very good sign. It was a sign that in many cases, the brain had space now to go back into the archives and do a bit of spring cleaning. And, oh, we were a bit wounded there. So we need to dream about mm-hmm. it. Why? Yeah. Because the dream is like a, a therapy session. And this is why nightmares recur too. And people say, oh, why does my nightmare recur? You know, and often veterans say, I've heard them say it's a really, really, you know, stuff that opens your heart, but it, but, you know, this is my punishment because I didn't do that because I didn't save them. I'm having these nightmares like, no, dude, that is not what's happening. Your brain is not punishing you. Like, I know that's how it feels, but this, this new view is saying that actually the reason nightmares recur is it's like a therapy session cut short if you wake up from a nightmare. So let's say like um, me and Tasha having a one-on-one lucid dream therapy session, right? And then the little dog starts, whose name I won't say in case she wakes up, she starts <laughs> barking. So I'm like, oh, dude, we've got to stop the session. I will be very quickly emailing you saying, oh, when can we rebook the session? When can we rebook the session? Because I can't let you go in half a session, right? The dreaming mind is doing the same. So if you get woken up from a nightmare, either because you get lucid, go, I want to wake up, I want to wake up, or because the shock wakes you up, you have to have the nightmare again. Unfinished business. Unfinished business, exactly. So you're saying that if a nightmare, if we we actually get to experience a nightmare through to its fruition or its conclusion, then it won't reoccur. It's like it's done its work, see you later. And that's why lucid dreaming works so powerfully, because if you can finally get lucid in that dream of being back in Iraq or Afghanistan or whatever the veterans might be dreaming of, and you can witness it, the nightmare never needs to replay again because oh, you see. finally witnessed well, the therapy session. I always thought you had to, the, the, the power of being lucid around nightmares was that you can change the ending. But you're saying something very different, You can, which is actually makes complete sense if you think about it from a mindfulness perspective. You're saying just let it play out. Well, just the act of witnessing the nightmare leads to a great reduction in nightmare frequency. If you can be lucid in the nightmare, then actively engage with acceptance Okay. Um, mm. Either, you know, moving towards a source of fear or hugging it or saying, like, I set you free, something like that, then the nightmare seemed to stop. So you can have a great reduction from just becoming lucid and you can have complete cessation from kind of actively engaging in a, in a kind of a state beyond fear. Um, but yeah, for many people, just getting lucid is enough. 
Yeah. Wow. Very cool. Well, so tell us about the practice that you want to guide right now, and then we'll kind of keep this going because it sounds like there's so much to talk about. Yeah. So I there's a lot of kind of well everything in in that I teach in the mindfulness of dream and sleep stuff and in wake up to sleep. It's all like scientifically verified. There's one practice in there that is not scientifically verified, and yet it is pretty much always the favorite practice on retreats, especially mm. with veterans and especially often with women with post-traumatic stress disorder because also in the military and i really want to mention this because it's an unspoken thing there are really high levels of military sexual trauma you know in the yeah. british army and that's the only thing i got the stats on and what it's like in america but over 50 percent of female veterans report either sexual assault or full-blown rape um and that's 50 percent reported so you know we could say that might be up to 60 70 percent actually that's going going unreported so incredibly high levels of this and because of either the assault happening in bed or the connection between bed and yeah. kind of between sexuality and bed often the bed seems like an unsafe place so mm -hmm. this practice i'm going to offer is called circular protectors and essentially you fall asleep in the hypnagogic state imagining a circular protection around the bed or the sleeping area and you try and fall asleep and have that last thought as you drop off that visualization of protection and it works very very well but it's actually an, uh, not scientifically verified it's from the bun tradition which is i'm sure you know is the indigenous tradition of tibet before buddhism arrived so we're talking like 2000 3000 years old um, and i found a version of this in tenzin wangal rinpoche's book uh, Tibet yoga is a dream and sleep. And his instruction is very short. He says, imagine that you are falling asleep like a king or queen, uh, surrounded by protection as the kinis stand guard over you while you enter the sleep bardo. So that's the instruction. So I kind of developed a, a wider thing like that, where I ask people to imagine in the four cardinal directions, north, south, east, and west, your primary protectors. Now, what is a protector? I say, could be alive or dead, known or unknown, real or unreal. Anything, person, being, or symbolic representation that brings you a sense of safety. So you imagine them and you kind of visualize them and then I ask you to fill in the gaps. And you can fill in the gaps with fire, with weapons, with gods, with mountains, with crystals. I get really great with power animals, whatever you like. But you fall asleep imagining that you're surrounded by this protective energy. And it has really profound effects on people. And it's amazing to see what comes up because you're like, oh yeah, I'm definitely gonna have like Jesus and then Buddha at my feet. And then, you know, my mom here and stuff. And suddenly a power animal appears. And you're like, whoa, I so did not expect a Garuda to be there or, or mm -hmm. a Jaguar or something. So it's also interesting to see what comes up for people. It's an interesting psychological exploration, but it's a great practice. It takes seven minutes. I'd love to offer it to you and to just see what kind of comes up for you. Let's do it just before we do, though. What's it protecting against? Ah, this is really interesting. So I have a little footnote on this. At an ultimate level, the practice itself is superfluous because there's nothing to protect against and because your protectors are always with you. But I guess what it's protecting against is the ego-fueled fear of sleep is a scary place and the mm -hmm. darkness is a scary place. A lot of people, when they enter the hypnagogic, anything they've been trying to suppress during the day kind of pops up and... It is true that often kind of trauma flashbacks, if they're going to appear anywhere, sometimes they do appear in the hypnagogic. So it helps calm the mind as well, reduce the possibility of trauma flashbacks. But great question. So it's protecting against it protect? basically stress and nightmares and trauma flashbacks. <laughs> it's like a self-soothing almost. Like, yeah, I mean, it's protecting against our own fear, but really there's nothing to be protected against, right? Because this is a compassionate universe and you are infinite beings with Buddha nature, but sometimes <laughs> we forget it. 
Yeah. I, I was, Tenzin Wangil Rinpoche is one of my main teachers. And oh, I've wow. done this in, in retreat with him many times. And I love it because his direction is like, you know, the Dakinis are sitting at your windows. They're at yeah. the, they're at the foot of your bed. They're on the rooftop. They're guarding your garage. They're, you know, just you sprinkle them everywhere. They're kind of, so I always imagine these like green, lovely beings just sitting Beautiful. all over the place, just kind of sitting there filing their nails or something. <laughs> oh, Tasha, if you've, if you've done this with the master, please like forgive my, my kindergarten. No, but I, I love, like... I love, I love your take on it. The, you know, doing it in the four directions, you know, sometimes when I'm guiding people in this one, especially if people are experiencing trauma, they're like, you want me to put them where? Tell me exactly mm, where they should mm. go. <laughs> so you're kind of helping people being like north, south, east, west, and then fill in the gaps. And I love that you said that, you know, there's no scientific evidence yet that this works. But every time I run this meditation with people, it's their favorite. Absolutely. Hands down. Oh, wow. Favorite. Yes. Yeah. And it's like yeah. I the way I always describe it is it's kind of like when we don't have that sense of protection, we're like those fish that just kind of sleep with half the brain on and half the brain off all night. You know, you're like sleeping True. with one eye open. Yeah. And it just gives you the sense of permission to like really just let go. Yeah. Exactly. I'm excited to hear you. Let's party. Let's party. It. This is a visualization practice in which we imagine a gathering of protectors around us, fearlessly standing guard over us, and protecting us as we sleep. This practice is inspired by the ancient Tibetan dream yoga teachings, in which it is said that if you're feeling scared or anxious before you sleep, you should turn your sleeping area into a sacred protected space by imagining that you're surrounded by powerful protectors, enlightened beings and dakinis, female embodiments of awakening, who remain like mothers watching over a child, or guardians surrounding a king or queen. Lying in bed before sleep. Decide which protectors you are going to invoke. There are no rules to this. You can imagine whoever you like. Alive or dead. Real or unreal. Known or unknown. Imagine anyone or anything who offers you a feeling of love, safety, allegiance, and protection. Allowing yourself to relax into the shallows of the hypnagogic, I want you to imagine your first protector standing or sitting near your head. You don't have to see them clearly. Just know that they're there, watching over you, protecting you, holding you in their love. Your first protector is by your head. And now, imagine your second protector. Mm -hmm. 
sitting or standing by your feet. Your second protector is watching over you with love. Feel the power of their safety and protection. You now have a protector by your head and a protector by your feet. Then, on your left-hand side, imagine your third protector. Feel their energy. Feel their love, their safety beaming down to you. You now have protectors by your head, by your feet, and by your left-hand side. And now, imagine your fourth protector. Sitting or standing by your right-hand side. Watching over you and exuding a feeling of safety, of love. Feel that they are there. Take a moment to feel the love, the safety, and the power that your protectors offer you. You're surrounded by protection. You're surrounded by love. And finally, you begin to fill in the gaps between the protectors. Keeping your primary protectors in place, fill in the gaps between them to complete the circle. Use whatever you like. People or animals, or balls of light, or crystals, fire, weapons, stars, galaxies, fairy lights. Whatever you choose, fill in the gaps to complete your circle of protection. Your circle of safety. Take a moment to feel the increase in power as you add these additional protectors to your circle. Feel their energy of protection as you drift off to sleep. Hold the visualization for as long as you like and then let it fade. Let it slip from your mind's eye as you drift through the hypnagogic state and into sleep, knowing that you are protected, knowing that you are safe. Dream peacefully, sleep well.
Oh my god, I'm so doing that tonight. (laughs) (laughs) I feel so cared for. That's a really powerful practice. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I usually really don't like music with meditation because it usually doesn't go with it. It's just kind of like an afterthought. But this one really, like it has this way of enhancing the feeling of, you know, you said like lay there like royalty and also has this emotive quality that brings people in, like brings your protectors into your circle and stuff. So I actually really loved the music with that one. Yeah, you know, I was sleep a bit sleepy, so I had no trouble getting into that kind of drifty spot. And I have to say, I was really um, surprised by the charge of, you know, you kept kind of cueing to, as you add another protector, notice the increase of a sense of protection or strength. That was very palpable for me. Each time I put a new one in there, it was like I felt more safe Mm. or secure. And I mean, really interesting and then of course the randomness of the shit that comes up my protector's like i had the hulk by my head holding my head like he was doing a reiki session like like this big fat green hulk and then i had buddha at my feet then i had like a cedar tree on my left and then wonder wow, woman cool. with her lasso just giving me some good wow, you're safe. mama vibes so yeah i was all my all my like protectors from being a little kid just like showed up yeah this was really cool for me like I said, I've done this before, but never in the circle, like the north, south, east, west. And also, usually when I'm doing it, like, I don't know, probably from my Tibetan Buddhist background, it's like I always think of my teachers, you know, they're like sources of safety, mm-hmm. especially when I'm doing like dream yoga, because they're kind of the custodians of this practice. And so I usually in- imagine them all around. And this time, so my, you know, my main teacher shows up at my head and my second main teacher shows up on my feet and then on left and right they were actually family members who at times i find i have a really difficult relationship with in you know waking life mm. but there was something about the like quiet invitation to just be here with me supportively that that stuff didn't matter it was kind of like you just sense their love outside of all the junk of what makes the relationship difficult so it actually had a beautiful kind of like healing vibe like it felt really like healing that relationship and then i had this vision kind of like you know what this is like it's like almost having a memory from when you're a baby and laying in the crib and everyone's kind of like looking over the side of the crib you know all the oh, four yeah. sides being like yes. oh, goo, 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 goo. and i was like it's exactly that like that's that's what we love about it is this i'm um, just you know being doted on or protected from all sides and just the relinquishing of needing to protect yourself or something it's very primal kind of that's feeling. so cool to hear Beautiful. You know, I don't know if you know that dream yoga instruction, but it's the fall asleep as if your pillow is the lap of the guru. Yeah. And they're like stroking your head and stuff. And it's like, it's that vibe. It's like we're surrounded by protection. I do that all the time protection. with the Tara. It's oh, like green beautiful. Tara. My head is just in her lap and she's like, yes. go to sleep. So what do people find when they do this? Do they people do report that they sleep better? I mean, what, I'm just, you know, because it seems like a no-brainer to try to do something yeah. like that. Yeah, I mean, the... The kind of feedback I've had is a lot of people actually don't finish it. They find they're asleep before they get to the end, uh, which is, is like proof of products. I'm like, brilliant. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've found non-scientific research, but just some people who've done the workshops um, often, um, a lot of people, this is like their favorite practice. And you've done all this kind of breath work stuff and given all the science and then everyone's like, actually this one, which is often the one that I'm because all the workshops are presented in, in a kind of a secular way. This is the one I'm often worried about. 
because it's like yeah. this like you know indigenous shamanic practice from tibet and all these links to to spirituality and stuff but i think because it's been practiced for so long i think when you do a practice that's been practiced like millions of times by millions of other people it's like you're tuning into that you're tapping into that and it doesn't really matter what you believe it's something something happens within you um but yeah a lot of people it's a favorite practice and is uh, really good with helping fall asleep, especially when we did the workshops with the female veterans, a lot of whom were working with military sexual trauma. For them, this made the better safe space again. Um, I'm wondering, have yeah. you seen any kind of like, are there recurring themes of of who people choose as their protectors or any like surprising, you know, Jeff had the Hulk and Wonder Woman in a tree. <laughs> so I feel like, and for me, you know, they they kind of pop up at random, but I'm wondering if there's kind of archetypal things that show up for people. It's always different. A lot of animals come up for people um, and a lot of family members. I mean, that's a recurring mm-hmm. theme or, or at least like every other time I do it, someone say, oh, and this family member appeared who I never thought would be there. And it's like a grandparent or someone and they trace mm-hmm. it back and they're like, oh yeah, that's the first time I really felt safe actually was when that grandparent picked me up in their arms or whatever it is. It's often back to kind of, you know, first yeah. experiences. Um, but it changes. I mean, you can do that practice every night if you wanted or, or every week and the protectors are always different. But it's like they might appear differently, but the energy is, is I think it's the fundamental energy of protection of like, mm. this is a compassionate universe and it's manifesting in this form. So, um, well, I don't, can, let, let's link this to the larger program then of, let's say you're somebody who, I don't know. I mean, I, my sleep is terrible. It's ever since I've had a little kid, mm. it's just cause I'm interrupted. I mean, he's up in the night and I'm waking up early, wondering where things are okay. And there's lots of us who have these disturbed sleeps and, and sometimes I have nightmares are there too. And so if I want a, a more holistic strategy for trying to improve my sleep, I can really see how this protector practice would help. But you have some other practices that you suggest as well. You want to take us through some or offer a framework for thinking about it? Yes. Yeah, so exactly that, the framework, it's based on these like five foundations, the five foundations of mindfulness of dream and sleep. So just to hit them off first, then we'll go into them. First one is sleep awareness. The second one is deep rest and relaxation. The third one is breath work. The fourth one is transformation of nightmares. And the fifth one is lucid dreaming. So it starts with sleep awareness, which is essentially working with this premise that knowledge is power. So how can we even think about making changes to the third of our life that we spend asleep if we know nothing about it? Mm -hmm. So first of all, it's about learning not just how people sleep, but how we sleep. So becoming your own sleep tracker, you know, like working out like how do you sleep? How do you need to sleep? How do you benefit from sleep? And we look at not only at the workshops, like how sleep works, but how stress and trauma affect each specific stage of sleep. Like once you tell people that flashbacks in the hypnagogic are normal and okay, if you've had a traumatic event, and this is why it's to do with the brain moving from the left brain dominance, to the waking state, to the right brain dominance, the dream state. And in that transition, there's a period where the egocentric preference system, which is the part of the mind that kind of, kind of bats away any thoughts that we don't want to have, uh, that kind of goes to sleep. It blacks out. Yeah, so boom, all these things can pop up. Uh, And uh, that's very different from the hypnopompic state, where actually you can get this thing called the 4 a.m. demons, where the hypnopompic state, that state of waking up, can give great clarity. You can get the mind, the mind is like perfectly spring cleaned after a a cycle of sleep. So the mind can, it's like 
bright headlights. So for some people, that leads to amazing insight in the hypnopompic state when they wake up and they remember that line of poetry, or whatever. But mm-hmm. if you're working with trauma, it can mean that you've highlighted this this traumatic yeah. thing you try not to look at. And you share that and you see people just going, oh, I see. You know, it's about mm-hmm. normalization. So it's about empowering with knowledge, normalizing however you sleep is okay. And if you've been through something highly stressful, yeah, that's definitely going to affect your sleep. Like, no wonder. Mm-hmm. Um, because most people in this country anyway, when something's up with their sleep, they go to their doctor. They're like GP, their general practitioner. Now, my stepsister just became a doctor, and she confirmed that in six, hour, six um, years of medical training, she had two hours on sleep. <laughs> now, she sent me that two-hour presentation. It was actually really good, but it was two hours, dude. Yeah. And we know that one in 10 of the reasons people go and see their general practitioner, doctor, is sleep-related. And most people didn't do their training just last, became a doctor three months ago, like my sister. Maybe it was 10 or 20 years ago when sleep science was in its infancy. So people go to their doctors and say, this is how I'm sleeping, or these are the nightmares I'm happening, or this is the phenomena that's occurring to me. And the doctors, out of no fault of their own, but just because they don't know, say, wow, that's something really bad. You know, we need to medicate you. Or, you know, we need to pathologize it, create a problem out of it. And actually, that's not true. So the first thing is kind of sleep awareness and normalization. And the main practice there is keeping a nocturnal journal. So what I ask people to do is when they wake up in the morning, just like a daytime journal, just note down your night. Mm. So yes, that would include any dreams you can remember, but also just take a note. Like, when did I go to sleep? I woke up a couple of times to pee. Um, I just couldn't get to sleep. I kept thinking about that thing, jot that down. When I woke up in the morning and then crucially, how do I feel upon awakening? Mm -hmm. How do I feel? Because even if you can't remember the dreams, and this is really interesting, actually, even if you can't remember a dream, the emotional resonance of the dream will be felt in the body. So there's some interesting oh, research yeah. showing that simply the act of writing down your dreams increases psychological well-being because there could be millions of people every day who are waking up after an unremembered anxiety dream or an unremembered nightmare and they wake up and the anxiety of the nightmare is still felt in the body. Yeah, and we carry it through the day. Yeah, we carry it. And they've shown that the act of writing it down or speaking it out loud, both work well, helps you discharge the emotional energy of that dream. So actually keeping a dream diary is good for you. It's, you know, people are oh, so boring, but it's, it's, it's really good for you. Uh, and also another study from Swansea University, where I've done some, some of the studies there, um, has shown that listening to somebody's dreams, which I know is freaking boring for most people, <laughs> but the act of listening switches on your mirror neurons and increases levels of empathy over a long period with like long-term uh, long-term effects so yeah if you can sit through listening to your partner's boring dreams it's actually increasing your levels of empathy i love when people tell me their dreams but i'm also a dream me nerd, too. so i'm like exactly okay yeah. but most people find it a bit boring right <laughs> yeah so yeah so that's the first foundation the sleep foundation the sleep awareness stuff the second one is deep rest and relaxation so like learning how to switch on the parasympathetic nervous mm-hmm. system because most of us are uh, in this like constant state of fight or flight so the easiest way to do that is what Professor Huberman from Stanford calls non-sleep deep rest, NSDR, non-sleep deep rest, um, which is basically his kind of scientific term for yoga nidra. Yeah, I'm just going to say that sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah, it's basically yoga nidra. And once you start talking about it, you're like, oh, it's mainly yoga nidra. You're like, okay, you gave it a cool moniker. So it's anything below sleep. So you're not fully asleep. You're not blacked out, but you're also not awake. So you're probably lying down at least in a deep state of relaxation and at most in that kind of awareness of the hypnagogic state, which a lot of yoga nidra depends on. So it's training people to learn how to relax deeply. And the way this works so well for sleep is because it charges something called parasympathetic drive. Because I was like, why does it help for sleep? 
Because it's counterintuitive. You would you would think that laying down to rest during the day would actually make it harder to fall asleep at night because you're sucking up some of that sleep during the day. Okay. So if you were napping, and by the way, napping actually, as long as your nap is under 90 minutes and as long as your nap finishes six hours before your intended bedtime, it will not have a negative impact upon your sleep. But it, but so let's put that myth to bed. Um, uh, the kind of sleep pressure only takes five to six hours to build up. So as long okay. as you've got, give yourself five, six hours, you'll be okay. But yeah, let's say like on a yoga nidra retreat, right? Where you're doing five, six, seven sessions of this lying down meditation a day, each one half an hour. And then at night, you're like, there's no way I'm going to sleep. I've just been lying down all day. I'll have used up all my sleep credits. Like just as you said, actually you sleep like a baby because if you'd had five or six naps during the day, yeah, yeah you'd mess with your circadian rhythms. But yoga nidra, crucially, you're not asleep. Mm -hmm. You might fall asleep if you, you know, often I do fall asleep. But yours, you, if you can, you're staying just before sleep. And what that does is a thing called parasympathetic drive, which is, I think of it like a car battery. Imagine like electric car battery. And every time you do something relaxing during the day, you charge up that battery. This is why people tend to sleep better on vacation. Because during the day, they tend to be doing, unless you're on vacation with kids, you tend to be doing slightly more relaxing things than you would do in your everyday life. So if you can spend like 30 minutes a day, and it can be in the middle of the day or just before bed, it doesn't matter when you practice the non-sleep deep rest practices. That's like a 30-minute charge mm. of your parasympathetic drive. So when you go to sleep at night, the more charge in that parasympathetic drive there is, the easier it is to fall asleep and to stay asleep. Kind of like you're just lowering like the the baseline. You're like your energetic baseline throughout the day. You're just kind of yeah, you know, exactly getting close to a norm of relaxation. Exactly, you're you're taking some noise of the system and you're priming things totally. with yeah. that kind of rest and relaxation. So just so for people, in case people, you can find yoga nidra guided meditations online. Presumably, you have some. If it, if they don't want to do a guided practice, what would that look like for someone? Just closing their eyes and kind of staying awake, but just sort of. Gentle contemplation, drifty. I mean, what what do you recommend? What would that so, look like? Yeah, so usually yoga nidra is actually guided by an by a track, either somebody or an audio track. And uh, I've selected the best ones. If you go to my website, charliemorley.com forward slash wake up to sleep, there's a resources section under that page. And I put all the coolest yoga nidra because some of awesome. them are really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> but can it be done without the track? Absolutely. What would it look like? So first of all, eyes closed for this. So a lot of the meditations would not be eyes. In fact, you know, we can we could drop in now and just have have a look. So if someone was following along, I'd ask you to close your eyes. Let's do Let's it. Do it. Guide us in a little mini one. Okay. And I'd ask you actually not to have a perfect meditation posture. Like mm -hmm. you guys can't lie down because your mics, but like proper slump. Like let yourself like not have good posture. Go as like deeply relaxed as pillows you can. Here. That's not yeah, hard exactly. for me to find. <laughs> and, anyone who, and anyone who's listening now, you could be lying down. Just the act of moving to a lying down position activates parasympathetic response. You can literally see this, right? So lying down would be great. Having the eyes closed and just noticing the support of the ground beneath you. Noticing the support. So whatever in life is not supporting us, people we may not be able to rely on, circumstances, but the ground is always there. It is always supporting us unconditionally. Just noticing that unconditional support of the ground. With the eyes closed, allowing the eyelids to become heavy. And as the eyelids become heavy, just see if you can tune into the out-breath specifically. And with each out-breath, allow yourself to move deeper and deeper into that support of the ground. 
So allow all of your body weight to be released into the support of the ground with the out breath. Allowing the heaviness of the eyelids to become the heaviness of the body. Fully relaxed. Completely safe. Allowing yourself to release any clinging or grasping onto the waking state. Knowing that if you fall asleep, that's totally fine. The sound of my voice will bring you back. But for now, really release deeply. Feeling the body getting heavy. Your breath becoming longer. Deeper, more relaxed. Just allow yourself to rest in this space. Nowhere to go, nothing to do. Just resting. Just relaxing deeply. And then if we had time, I'd be encouraging you to do a body scan through your body, starting at your feet, bringing your attention into your feet, seeing if you can place your mind into your feet. And with awareness comes relaxation. Fully relaxed feet. And then we move our awareness up through the body, through the limbs, into the core all the way to the top of the head. We do this slowly. It would take 10 or 15 minutes. And once we got to the head, we might bring our awareness into a certain part of the head, maybe the space between our eyebrows. We might bring our awareness there and see if we can hold it there. And whenever we felt ourselves slipping off into sleep, we bring our awareness back to that point at the center of the eyebrows. Maybe even imagining a ball of white light there if you liked. And that body scan from the feet to the top of the head might take 5, 10, 15 minutes. Your awareness of the ball of white light between the place between your eyebrows might take another 5 or 10 minutes. And then whenever you feel that visualization has served you, you could drop the ball of white light and just rest. And you could rest in that state with awareness for however long you liked, another 10, 15 minutes, another half an hour. But I'm aware that we don't have that time for you right now. So with no sense of rush, just bring yourself back to an awareness of your body, opening your eyes, stretching your body if it feels good to do so. So there's just a little taster there of how you might guide your own yoga nidras, basically moving into deep relaxation, working with the eyelids and the body, working together. It was an old hypnosis technique. I did some hypnosis, hypnotherapy stuff when I was in my 20s. And um, I remember my hypnotherapy teacher, he always used to say, the hypnagogic state is a free hypnosis session. 
Cool. And later I found out the brain waves of the hypnagogic state and those of hypnosis are identical. They're not just similar, they're identical. So he was right. You're literally getting a free session of hypnosis. So that can also be a really good place to insert affirmations and to work with uh, any kind of hypnotic suggestions you wanted to use. And it's a very similar thing when you work with lucid dreaming. We'd move in that state, then the end of the body scan, you then move into reciting a certain affirmation to have a lucid dream. So yeah, you can absolutely guide yourself. It feels like a just like a hitting the reset button for the nervous system. Mm-hmm. It's really like... Yeah, it's exactly that. I imagine you could do it in a bath or lying in a park or just what matters is just to come out of the rumination and get your your mind in your body and really let yourself feel that ground and heaviness. And Yeah, and it seems decadent because we're so yeah. programmed to like, no, we should be in this state of clarity, eyes open, mindful awareness. If you're into kind of the Buddhist mindfulness mm-hmm. scene, right? This is saying the opposite. It's like really literally take the weight off your feet, allow yourself to enter the hypnagogic. You should be like, you know, close to sleep, approaching yeah. sleep. Mm-hmm. And that, as you said, Tash, that's what really resets the nervous system. You know, mindfulness is brilliant for resetting our kind of consciousness, our sense of awareness, but yeah. to reset the actual parasympathetic and to log into that parasympathetic drive, it requires that space just before sleep. Yeah. And the great thing about yoga nidra, it works even when it doesn't. If you're too wired to get into the hypnagogic, okay, it's like a lying down mindfulness session. If you can enter the hypnagogic, you've got all those great benefits of uh, yoga nidra. And if you go too far and you fall asleep, you get all the benefits of a nap. So it yeah. kind of even works when it doesn't. So I know you got to jump, dude, uh, and to do your Swedish thing. Do we have a few minutes just to say, just to comment on how the lucid dreaming thing has been helpful? I mean, we don't have time for a practice or anything. Yeah, let's talk lucid dreaming. What do you want to discuss? Well, I mean, as pertains to this particular issue of people who have, you know, are stressed out, they're not getting good sleeps, or they're dealing with nightmares, how does the practice of lucid dreaming, how can that help with that? Okay, so lucid dreaming, I would teach once somebody has stabilized their sleep. So have you noticed that comes at the end of the five foundations? So with working with population with high levels of stress or trauma, jumping straight into lucid dreaming isn't always the best thing. It requires some prep work. For people with kind of normalized levels of stress, whatever the hell that means, absolutely jump straight into lucid dream. If you're working with trauma, then those first foundations are a pretty good way to, to begin. Um, but once you get to the lucid dreaming, it is one of the most powerful ways to integrate trauma. I mean, lucid dreaming, as far as like nightmare integration goes, study after study. In fact, after that Swedish thing, I've got another thing tonight where I'm presenting with IONS, Institute of Noetic Sciences, on a study that we did in July, and we just got the results back. We had 55 people, all of which had to have high levels of PTSD to get into the study. So I've never had that before where everyone in the room has has high levels of PTSD. What we found is a one-week study. Um... I was worried that we wouldn't have any, not worried, but I, I told the funder, we may not have any lucid dreams. You know, this is a popularized, uh, uh, sorry, this is a traumatized population group. Who knows? But we'll try our best. We had 73% of them had a lucid dream in the one week study. In and one all week? that, wow. yeah, one week. And all that 73%, uh, a high percentage, I can't actually remember what it is, had what we refer to as a healing lucid dream, which is they got lucid in a recurring nightmare became lucid and either the act of lucidity had a healing effect and reduction in the nightmares or they literally became lucid and turned to kind of face their fear mm-hmm. and in some cases embrace the demon or um, uh, sent love to the attacker or whatever it was you know full-on kind of yeah. healing lucid dreams and obviously they had a big reduction in ptsd as you would expect but what was the most interesting thing after that study all of the group after the study had a reduction in ptsd scores and three weeks later all of the group still had a reduction in PTSD, Mm. which 
brings us to this crazy conclusion that actually just learning about lucid dreaming and giving it a shot, regardless of if you're one of those 25% who didn't have a lucid dream, still has a reduction in PTSD, which is huge. Because one of the big mm. things that's stopping lucid dreaming being adopted by mainstream medicine is, oh, it takes a lot of effort. Yeah. Not everyone can get lucid. Most people, it takes two or three weeks, right, of reading the books and doing the courses and stuff. What we've found is not only it can be taught quickly in an in a, uh, intense uh, you know, period, but also even if you don't get lucid, just learning it's a possibility. And the scientists believe that it's learning that lucid dreaming is a thing offers such hope and empowerment yeah. to the disempowered population who have PTSD mm. that that in itself reduces PTSD scores. And I was like, fuck, that's so cool. And it's also related to the finding they find in all of these studies around meditation, mindfulness, any kind of, of these interventions, just the act of thinking you're doing something that's helping you, yes, even if you're in the placebo yeah. group, is itself hugely helpful. Mm -hmm. Totally. Um, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Empowering yeah. is really the right word there. So lucid dreaming is really, really powerful working with, with stress and trauma. But also you mentioned that Swedish thing uh, to give it context. So I'm about to give a webinar to like a Swedish conservatoire of like musicians on lucid dreaming creativity, because it's not just trauma. I mean, lucid dreaming, you're basically conscious in the unconscious mind. So anything you can work with through hypnotherapy, you can work with through lucid dreaming. And one of those is like access to the unconscious. So we know that the unconscious is this vast storehouse of like every every movie you've ever watched, every Buddhist teaching you've ever had, every, sorry, every spiritual teaching you've ever seen, every good piece of advice you've ever had, all of that's stored in the unconscious. If only we could access mm -hmm. it. And the lucid dream, it's like you get the keys to the unconscious. So if you get lucid and you call out something like, show me something important, or how can I be of most benefit? It's like you're asking the infinite you, the you that's not limited by the confines of the egoic mind. You're having access to all of that. So the answers you get, I mean, I say they're from you. Some people say they're from God and stuff. I'm like, dude, I think they're from you. But I think if you were to meet the you beyond the limits of the ego, you would call it God. Mm -hmm. So no wonder you think you met God in your lucid dream. Yeah. It's like you're meeting the infinite you. Yeah. So it's amazing work on creativity and uh, like the martial arts study. I mean, I was part of that. 81.3% uh, of the martial artists, we had to basically train martial arts in our lucid dream and then the waking state they tested to see if we got any better 81.3 percent of the 25 martial artists got better at Amazing. martial arts in the lucid dream that i embarrassingly insane. was one of the 19 percent <laughs> that didn't get any better you didn't become a ninja like, in your dreams dude it's because you I get chasing around trying to have sex with <laughs> random strangers <laughs> no, and they kept I, beating he the he shit ran into you. jeff trying to have sex with an umbrella like i was, was like really hey you, you know my umbrella get away from my umbrella <laughs> <laughs> oh shit i'm supposed to be uh supposed to be martial artist i totally did it i got lucid i did the kick sequence i was like well, i'm nailing this like scientific study but yeah i got no better on the follow-up so whatever but um 83.81.3 percent did so you can use it for loads of cool stuff and of course it's a spiritual practice is as you both know in buddhism tibetan buddhism goes back at least a thousand years bun tradition a thousand years before that mm -hmm. yeah so it's that profound spiritual benefits too so well, cool. Charlie, clearly we're just scratching the surface here of, of what we have to explore. So we're going to have to get you back on. Oh, I'd love to. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure and an honor. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks for tuning in to the Consciousness Explorers podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you like this episode, give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. See you next week for a whole new adventure.